So we are in the midst of a sermon series called Transparency Matters. And just overall, we know that we are a shell, we are a tent for our soul, for our inner being. We are a place, a, a tabernacle where God resides when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So God calls us to be transparent, to allow this shell that we have and this hard face that we have because of our old sin nature to be softened and to open up to others to know who and whose we are so that we can share the love of Jesus Christ with others and people can know that we are Jesus' children, Jesus' um, brothers and sisters, God's children. And we can share that with one another. Last week we started in Ephesians chapter 4. I encourage you to open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We went through verses 1 through 6 and we saw that in transparency, unity matters. And now this week we are continuing on starting at verse 7, and we're going to see that in transparency, spiritual gifts matter. So I encourage you to open up to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, grab a pew Bible. It's on page 1818 in the pew Bible. And I want to read for you verses 7 through 10. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended? To the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. May God bless the hearers and the doers of his word. You know, when we start looking at this in verse 7, it starts out with the word but. But. To each one of us, grace has been given. So starting it out with but means that we're just taking it out of context if we just start reading here. The but has to do with the first six verses of chapter 4 that we talked about last week. So last week we talked about in transparency, unity matters. We saw that we all have a unified calling that we all have a unified character and that we all have a unified confession, but we are all a different. We are all individuals. But because we are all unified, it, do, it does not mean that we should all look the same and we should all speak the same and we should all act the same. We are to be unified, to be transparent with one another. But out of the generous grace 
out of the generous grace of Jesus Christ, he has apportioned, he has given us gifts, different gifts for different people, apportioning those gifts as he sees the need and as he sees you being specially made in his eyes for this gift that he is going to bestow upon you. In the transparent life of the church, spiritual gifts matter. It's God's way of doing church. You know, we did a survey called the Natural Church Development back in February. Many of you, most of you, participated in that survey. and You, you probably wonder what came out of that, right? Well, we haven't revealed everything yet, but I can tell you that when we got the results of that survey, it pointed out, it identified a quality characteristic called gift-based ministry as being one of the most egregious shortfalls at Dunphy Missionary Church. Gift-based ministry. What does that mean? Well, knowing how misery loves company, let me assure you, Dunphy Missionary Church, that you are not alone. Most Christians are either not involved in any ministry or they function in a ministry that does not match their gifts. God has gifted his church with everything that it needs to do the job to advance his kingdom and to function as one body, the body of Christ. Unfortunately, too often we act like we are a cart with square wheels. The cart with square wheels. It symbolizes many things. Here, here are a few. The church is trying to do everything in its own strength to do what God wants to do for it. Here's another thing. Sometimes the square wheels are ministries that are put into place in the church. We, we put ministries into place even though they might be square, and we summon people to be convinced that this is how we do ministry here. So get to work. Let's get this ministry moving. And sometimes we, we just get too busy to stop and consider, I wonder what it would be like to take some of those round wheels and put on the axles of the cart. We're just a little bit too busy to stop and think about it. Sometimes those square wheels represent old ministries. Old ministries that started as a round wheel that were very effective in the past, but they just may not be effective today. We like to hold on to those good times, don't we? As we did our journey wall together, we looked back at the history of the church and we put sticky notes on the wall and we had them color-coded and there were a lot of green stickers there, a lot of things that we were proud of, a lot of ministries that were good 
But sometimes we have to be cautious about holding on to what we could call sacred cows. Sometimes I think God might be trying to convince us that sacred cows need to be made into gourmet burgers. Perhaps the cart with square wheels could, could be an idea that people are assuming tasks to do that are outside of their gift-based ministry. And then those round wheels in the cart could maybe be those that are gifted in a very special way that God wants you to use, but you're a Christian that decides to sit back and not put your gifts to work. Well, what about these poor people that are trying to push or pull the cart? They could resemble leadership, convinced that nothing will get done if they just don't keep doing it. Keep up the good work and force that cart forward. There are so many different analogies that I'm sure you could come up with. But let me tell you, church, there is a better way. There is God's way. And that's what the scripture is about for us today. Spiritual gifts are part of the functioning body of Christ. God has already determined who should assume each ministry within the church. We said it last week, this is his church, not our church. I'm going to be working with the leadership at Dunphy Missionary Church to facilitate an inner church reformation that values the members identifying their spiritual gifts. Each of you identifying your spiritual gifts. And then there will be a leadership that will support ministries that match the gifts, the gifts that God has bestowed upon this church. Earlier in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's look at just a few scriptures, and I, I highly recommend that you dig into these more this week, especially if you haven't read them lately, that helps us see that spiritual gifts helps us as a church to function and to be transparent with one another. You're going to want to take some time during your devotion time this week to really dig into these, but... Here are some of them. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 4, it says, Christians are likened to members of a human body where we get meaning from functioning as a part of the body. The body is only healthy when it is complete and functioning as God intended it to be. And Christ, we learn in Ephesians chapter 4 here, apportioned these gifts to each one of us. Then after you look at Romans chapter 12, you're going to want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Actually, chapter 12, 13, and 14 helps you fully understand 
spiritual gifts and the unity of the body. I want to read just a few verses from you to you from chapter 12. Verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. This sermon today is to help you to be informed. In verse 4 it says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, God's Spirit, distributing those gifts. In verse 12, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 15, More than that, we are then found to be false. Oh, my goodness. I was thinking this isn't sounding quite right. I, I went over to verse, chapter 15. I'm sorry. So chapter 12, let me read that again. Verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Okay, that sounds better. That's what I was looking for. In verse 15, Now if the foot should say, Because I am a, not a hand, I do not belong to the body. In other words, you're one of those round wheels. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, there would be, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. You continue to read on, through there, and you understand that these spiritual gifts are parts of a body that he's giving us. And then chapter 13, if you haven't heard this, called the love chapter, you need to read it so you understand why it's called the love chapter. Surely you've heard it at, at weddings. This is one of the most popular chapters read at weddings. But it helps us to understand that love is overarching in all of these spiritual gifts that God gives to us. And then chapter 14, verse 1 says this, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So God is calling us together, gifting us individually so that we can all become part of the body. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, there's some more spiritual gift uh, discussions. We're going to talk more about that next week. We're going to find that there's gifts of leadership. And next week, we will see that transparency matters, and in that, spiritual leadership matters. Here's the bottom line about gift-based ministry. When we live in harmony with our spiritual gifts, we no longer minister at our own strength. We're not those pushers and pullers of that cart with square wheels. 
The Holy Spirit is the one that is working in us and through us as Christ apportioned it. Even though we may be ordinary people, each one of us are ordinary people, we can accomplish extraordinary things with the power of God living in us as we function in our gift-based ministries that God is bestowing upon us. Gift-based ministries, they allow people to grow in the areas of wisdom and commitment and power. And research shows from this natural church development that was developed, they did research and they found that there is no factor influencing the sense of joy in life. Isn't that what you want, some joy in your life? Nothing influences the sense of joy in your life more than living in accordance with your spiritual gifts. We need to figure out what they are, and we need to get to work doing what God has called us to do. This is why, it says in verse 8, this is why verses 8 through 10 reveals more information about Christ's authority to give these spiritual gifts to us. So now we're going to go back and get some background about these spiritual gifts that Jesus is apportioning to us. First of all, we need to realize that victory is very important here. This is why it says in Psalm chapter 68, verse 18, it refers back to that. This is why, because of the spiritual gifts that God is bestowing upon us, Jesus rightfully claimed a strategic victory. That's what I read as our call to worship this morning. His ability to become our substitutionary sacrifice for all that we deserve, even death on a cross, Jesus did for us. He had a victory. He ushered in the church age and the current battle between good and evil that we're living today. All of this before he comes again with the rapture of the church and the final events described in the book of Revelation. With his strategic victory, Jesus received the spoils of war. That's what this scripture is getting down to. He received the spoils of war in his victory. This is in a, a spiritual realm, and he has decided to give out the spoils of war to those that are part of his body, to those who believe and accept his substitutionary death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. Let me read that again in verse 9. Ephesians 4, verse 9. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? What? It's important for us to understand this. That's why it started out in verse 8 to say, this is why. It's important for us to understand verse 9 too. 
And there are so many arguments in the theological circles about what verse 9 means. He descended to the old lower earthly regions. The arguments are about, does that mean Jesus descended from heaven to earth to save the day? And others will say, no, that's not what it means. It means that Jesus descended into hell, into the lower earthly regions. And people argue about it and fight about it until they finally just throw this verse out and don't even want to talk about it anymore. That's not what God calls us to do. Let me suggest to you that it does not matter which one you think applies to this context. In fact, I would suggest that both of those apply to this context. So, for you to make a decision or for you to think that maybe both of them apply, you need to understand what they mean, right? So what does it mean that Jesus descended from heaven to earth? The virgin birth. You can read it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. I think I talked about this in the before, but let me just say again. Jesus was conceived by God through the Holy Spirit. He did not have the old sin nature in him. He didn't have the seed of Adam in him. It also talks about this in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to, went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Surely we've heard all these verses before. We celebrate these things at Christmas every year, right? The whole world celebrates with us, even though they don't know what they're celebrating. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Well, the Word, what, what's that mean? What's the Word? In verse 14, it says, the Word became flesh. Oh, the Word is Jesus. Jesus, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus did descend from heaven to earth, right? We all agree. And maybe that's what they're talking about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9. But what about this part, he descended into the lower earthly regions? Jesus descended into hell. What? You're probably saying, let me just say to you, Easter people, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You are Easter people. This would be 
When Jesus died on the cross, remember I said he died, he was dead, his dead body was put in the tomb. But by the Spirit, he was made alive. Even though his body was dead, his spirit, his soul was made alive. And Jesus had a victorious proclamation to make. He defeated death on the cross. You see, what we're talking about here is a a difference between the spiritual world and the physical world that we all see. There's a fine veil between that. Sometimes it opens up and we can see into it. Sometimes it, it gets so thin we can feel the presence of the angelic realm all around us. But let me tell you, it's always there. And the angels are always looking and watching and seeing what we're doing. But there were some angels that didn't keep their created order. They were really bad, wicked, horrible angels. And these are the ones that Jesus went to proclaim his victory to because they can't see what's going on. What am I talking about? Okay, write this down. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 to 20. This is what it says. This isn't my idea. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went, during these three days that he was in the tomb, he went and he preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago. What? Yeah, long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Wow. Okay. Thanks for bringing that to my attention, Pastor, but I still don't get it. Well, let's look at the book of Jude. It's the book just before Revelation. I don't know how many of you learned the, the song to remember the books of the, of the Old Testament, and then there's another song for the books of the New Testament, and I always remember the end of that song, Three Johns, Jude, and Revelation. <laughs> so after the Three Johns, there's the book Jude and then Revelation, and Jude is only one chapter. So verse 6 in Jude, it says this, And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he, Jesus, has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. You see, there is and there always has been a created order, but Some of these fallen angels from that spiritual realm broke through that veil that I talk about between this physical world and the spiritual world, and they left their home. That's what it says in Jude 6. These are the ones that are chained up, and they're kept in this dark prison, and they don't get to see what's going on here in this world. So that's why Jesus had to go talk to them. Well, who are these angels? 
Well, it said in 1 Peter something about the days of Noah, and this says that they abandoned their great home. So why don't we go to Genesis? Oh, my goodness, the first book of the Bible? Yes, let's go to Genesis chapter 6. That's where we learn about Noah. Genesis chapter 6, verse 2. It helps us understand the history behind these spirits and these angels that are bound up in prison. And it also helps us understand why we needed this great flood to overcome the whole earth and wipe out humankind the way that it was, except for those eight that were in the ark. Verse 2. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. Yes, ladies, you are all beautiful. And even the angels can see how beautiful you are. And these sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. What? Sons of God. Well, I wonder what that means. Well, if you look at the Hebrew word, it's B'nai Ha Elohim. B'nai Ha Elohim means beings created by God. It actually means the, the fallen angels that broke from their created order and did these things with the humans, with the women. The Living Bible Translation actually translates B'nai Ha Elohim as this, beings from the spirit world. Let's jump down to verse 4 in Genesis 6. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. The Nephilim, and also afterward, when the sons of God, B'nai Ha Elohim, the fallen spirits, went to the daughters of men and had children with them. Oh, my goodness. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. Also, it's been called a, a super race. The men of renown could be where Greek mythology comes from. You've heard of Hercules, extra strong man. It wasn't just a man, it was a man fallen angel cross, the Nephilim. Come on, pastor, really? Let's go back to the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell. Let me explain that a little bit after I get done reading this putting them into a gloomy dungeon to be held for judgment. Now, if this doesn't match with everything else we've been reading, I don't know what does. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood, oh, that's the time of Noah, isn't it? On its ungodly people. But he protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Angels, when they sin, but sent to hell. The Greek word translated hell here is Tartarus. 
So Tartarus isn't always the Greek word that's translated to hell. Greek is very specific in their words, and Tartarus means a dark prison of punishment designated for the most wicked spirits. It's called hell. It's actually a a compartment of hell where Jesus went to make his victorious proclamation after his body died on the cross and his spirit was made alive to go to the depths of the earth. So Jesus did descend into hell to make a victorious proclamation to the fallen angelic realm. Victory has been won, Jesus said. And they would one day move from that compartment called Tartarus, that compartment of hell, into the lake of fire. You can read all about it in Revelation. The chains are going to be unbound. They're going to be released. But eventually, they are then thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. Okay, now let me read verse 9. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Does it really matter whether Jesus came from heaven to earth, which we know is true, or that Jesus came from the earth to the lower earthly regions, which is also true, What's important is God had a plan from the beginning. We went all the way back to the beginning in Genesis to understand what we're reading right now. He's got a plan for your life, and he always had this plan for you. So in verse 10, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Jesus ascended. It is this Jesus who, in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 4, has given each one of us today grace, spiritual gifts, as Jesus Christ apportioned them. Gift-based ministry from the spoils of battle, the one who descended and ascended gives each of us spiritual gifts. I hope this has opened your eyes to realize this isn't just some frivolous thing that God has done and poured out a spiritual gift on you. It was a plan from the beginning of time. It's the spoils of war, the war that Jesus has already won. We are living in victory with these spiritual gifts that Jesus has given to us. So you need to understand what your spiritual gift is. If you don't know, let me help you. There's a spiritual gift inventory on the counter in the back. Grab one of those and do it. It just helps you understand who you are. And at the end of that, there's like 126 questions to answer. You'll get scores on these spiritual gifts and you can help Use the highest score to help identify what your spiritual gift might be. You might already know because people have affirmed it in you and you are in ministry with your spiritual gift. That's awesome. When you do that, when you understand what your spiritual gift is, please send myself or Robin 
an email or just a handwritten note because we're going to start a spreadsheet. We're going to put that information in that spreadsheet so that cart with the round wheels, we're going to know whose round wheel has a special gift for a ministry that can be done to advance the ministry of Dunphy Missionary Church. So let's start today. If you know your gift, let me know. Let Robin know. If you don't, figure out what it is. Jesus paid his life to win the victory so he could pour that gift out upon you. It's important. You don't just come to church because it's a nice thing to do on Sunday mornings. God bought you with the blood of his only son, Jesus Christ. And for those of you that this information that I just shared with you today is brand new, let me suggest to you that we could get together and I could share other things with you perhaps that God hasn't shared with you or you haven't found. It's in his word. It's not my idea. It's God's idea. I would love to teach another Sunday school class for those of you that are scared to ask questions. I want you to have a safe place to come and say, really, Pastor? That kind of stuff is going on in the spiritual realm? How does that affect me today? Together with God's Spirit working through us, we can figure it out. Because God wants his church to know. He wants his church to know why they're out there telling people that they should come to Jesus and know who Jesus is. Let me know if you'd like to do that. I'd love to put together a small group and, and do some extra training. Learn more about the book of truth, God's word. Jesus is transparent. He's transparent in all these extraordinary things that he did for us and how he gives us. It's our responsibility, our responsibility to choose to follow Christ, to figure out what our spiritual gifts are, to pick up the round wheel from the cart and put it on the axle and say, here's how I can help that cart move forward. The body can only function when we all are transparent with one another because transparency matters. It's what helps keep us going. My prayer is that each of us will understand the great price that Jesus paid in God's kingdom so that he may grace you with the gifts as he apportions them. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for ministering to our souls in a way that perhaps we haven't ever felt before. For bringing your word of truth to us in a way that matters. Not just that we're, we're here living this, this life and we need to figure out how to make our life better by working harder and doing what the world tells us we have to do. But Lord, to come to you and accept what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. To live for him, to live for your kingdom. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.